Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Sufko. Um, thanks for introducing me, Phil. Uh, so over the course of this summer, uh, I, as I'm, this is one of the last times that this is happening this summer. Uh, I've had a long time to prepare, so I didn't do that for most of the summer, and I started getting ready. But um, I realized after I got, got into it that I could probably make this a three-hour multi-series event because there's apparently been a lot of things that have happened in my life. And uh, Anne-Marie tells me that 30 minutes is what normal people do, so we're going to do that. So this is my abbreviated life story. I didn't just um, put together a story about part of my life. I thought people would want to get to know me, so I'd just start at the beginning and work my way through and see how that goes. Um, so I was born in 1981 in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I'm the firstborn. I've got two younger brothers. My parents were... Uh, first-generation Christians, and they were young in their faith when they got married and when they started their family. Um, my dad was a tradesman of the local union, um, pipe fitter, just like his dad before him. And my mom had a biology and psychology degree from Penn State, and she recently got her law degree from Case Western um, and decided that rather than being an FBI agent, she wanted to marry my dad, settle down, and start a family. And so that's what they did. And to them, that meant that mom would stay at home with us kids as a traditional, uh, I guess, 1950s family would have. Uh, so my parents were convicted that they, as young believers, should go about raising their kids to the best of their ability in, with the means that they had. And one aspect of that was not to put us into the local public school system um, that they couldn't afford private school for a bunch of little kids um, on a pipe fitter's salary. So they homeschooled us three boys, and they lived simply and gradually worked through their dream of getting out of debt and owning a house out in the country. Um, they wanted to do some small-scale farming and see what life would be like out of the city, which they eventually got to do. Um, it took a long time. They bought and renovated and flipped houses, and I learned how to do that with them um, as the oldest. And by the time I was 15, we made the move out to cow country, east of Cleveland, a lot closer to Pennsylvania. So my childhood was really broken up into two halves, really the, the yuppie kid living in the city and the redneck out in the country. So I'll start by um, telling you what it looked like to be a city kid in the 80s and 90s as a homeschooler, um, living in four or five different neighborhoods. Uh, First, and very early on, we were involved in planting a church. So my parents met some like-minded believers and a guy fresh out of seminary that was their age um, with a young family as well. And so at age five and six, um, they were meeting at a YMCA gymnasium and they were starting a church. So I saw adults living out their faith in smaller groups, not as a really large congregation. Um, and at that age, I was amazed to see the contrast between who I saw in the church and my parents and the world, so my neighbors and friends of the family that were not believers. Uh, Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, uh, how then will they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear something without preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I remember thinking, my parents are just so different than those other people that I know that are not attending this church and part of this body of believers. Um, they really cared about other people. They loved them even when they 
didn't seem very lovable. Uh, they're happier, even in trials and tough times, um, than our neighbors and our unsaved family. Um, so I sat down and I asked my mom, how, how do you have that, and how do you get that? How do you become the way you are? Um, and she explained what it meant to be a Christian and why we need Christ in our lives. So I prayed sincerely and asked the Lord to be to ask Christ to be the Lord of my life um, when I was five or six years old. I was convicted of my sin and a need for a Savior, um, and I knew that Christ was the Savior that, that I needed in my life. Um, so that was the very early chapter, uh, and around that age, my mom taught me how to play chess. Uh, we'd regular, regularly play, and she'd challenge me to get better at it and play it with me. Um, so much of my childhood was consumed with church, um, being homeschooled, and then reading voraciously. I could re I'd read anything I could get my hands on in, in huge volumes. Um, and then being a sort of an eager little capitalist. So I, I thought I'd mow lawns and house sit, uh, do odd jobs, and eventually work part-time at a machine shop that another homeschooling family's father owned during the summer. Um, and I always had lots of huge paper routes that from age nine on, I, I had uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of newspapers to deliver every single day. Um, and I was in a persistent state of building, buying, and flipping bikes around our neighborhood, um, lawnmowers too. If there was some, something on the curb or at a garage sale I could snag and, and rebuild it and fix it. Uh, we were building ramps and half pipes and all kinds of skate park type stuff at that age back in the 90s or late 80s too. Um, so anyway, I remember feeling like there was just never enough time to do half of what I wanted to all around the neighborhood. and um, and I. We even ended up buying an on-road, off-road dirt bike um, when I was 12 and cruised around the backyards of all of our development until I eventually wrapped it around a tree. Uh, and then my younger brother and I, we were always jumping off of or over or through ramps and half pipes and whatever contrived thing we could on our bikes or rollerblades and things like that. Uh, in fact, a few of the kids in our neighborhood, one of the neighborhoods, um, were famous on-video stunt performers, so they had all the cool stuff down in their yards, and we would strap on whatever prote protective stuff my parents required us to before we'd get, out, get on those big things and, and ride them. That was a good time. So what consumed me the most of all through my childhood, though, was that this idea that I could be the best at something uh, if I dedicated myself to it. Uh, I could know more than or any other person or be more skilled than any other person at something if I applied my intellect and pushed myself as hard as I, as I needed to. Um, and that was largely true if I, it didn't require me to be faster or stronger than some other kid. Um, I could be the expert at something. Uh, I remember the thrill of finding out that no one could really beat me at chess when I was very young. And it was my party trick, you know, friends would come over and I'd say, hey, I bet I could beat you at chess. And some adult would sit down with me and um, then they'd be upset through dinner that they lost to a nine-year-old, right? Uh, I remember I just played relentlessly and with anyone who would sit down with me, and I was shocked at, at age 10 to find one of my parents' friends was uh, a really dedicated chess player. And he took a game off me one night and that blew my mind. Uh, and it turns out it, my mind isn't perfect and it's not the best. So. Uh, my takeaway was that even though I could be very good and, and close to the best or the best at something, that applied knowledge and applied intellect was a lot more valuable than just raw smarts. Um, that I needed to work hard if I wanted to be the best at anything or stay the best at anything. Um, one of the outcomes of that sort of intellectualism was 
that I studied the scripture quite a bit. Um, and we attended churches at the time that had a lot of legalism to them, a lot of rule following, and you figure out what's true and right and wrong, and you, you go with the true, right? Um, and so one of, the, one of the things that comes of that is that I eventually had some opinions that were not the same as my parents. I disagreed with them, and I could point out in Scripture why I disagreed with them. Um, and so there were a few different positions that we didn't get along on. And I remember uh, we'd have friends over, and I'd pick on one of my dad's friends in particular. And I'd, One Sunday I'd convince him that uh, he had free will in his salvation decision, and then the next week I'd convince him that he was predestined. And I'd do that until he got tired of me. But uh, one, of, one of the things that came out of that thing with my parents, though, um, was that even though I disagreed with them about some things, that I reached the conclusion that I needed to obey them, be under their authority when it's not leading me to sin, um, even if I didn't agree with how they got there or th that, that conclusion. And the reason isn't just because Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It also is because the Lord does have a plan that he's working out in our lives. And if we can be mature enough to obey even when we don't agree because your parents are wrong, you can still follow the Lord's will in your life. He's using the parents in our lives supernaturally in that they're guiding us in a direction that the Lord's leading them. Uh, and so that, that wasn't very easy, and I didn't like that a lot, but I unfortunately, well, fortunately in a lot of ways, but also difficult for me at the time was that I knew that was the right thing to do, and it was the best way to do it. So I stuck with that conviction, and eventually, I remember sitting down in my teenage years um, over one particular thing that I said, I, you haven't presented me with a burden of proof required to arrive at this conclusion. So I, w I wanted to have the conversation and confront them. I said, you've been giving me information about this subject, but I disagree with you fundamentally, and I'd like you to let me go a different direction on it. Um, and it was the subject of um, music with a beat. So we were a hymns-only family growing up. Uh, we, in the mid-'80s, went to a church. My parents came to the conclusion that syncopated rhythm is evil, so we threw out the records from Amy Grant, and we threw away our Steve Green tapes, and that was the end of that for um, almost 15, 20 years, something. So in the late 90s, when I, I came back to my parents with it, I said, you've been giving me all this material, and I've been consuming it all and trying to get to where you are, but I don't believe it, and I want to listen to the music I want to listen to. And they said, okay, we don't think it's the right thing for our family to do, but if you'd really like to, you can listen to it on your own time and your headphones, just don't influence your brothers. And they let me. They said, uh, they, were, they, were, they didn't have an easy time arriving at that conclusion either, but they said, listen, we're not going to proofread your music for you because we can't stand it, but... <laughs> Follow your conscience and listen to the lyrics, follow your conscience and listen to music that is uplifting to you somehow. Uh, and so I did that. And that's, I didn't give up my love for orchestral or choral performance, but um, I did make that change. And I still went on to perform in a few years of one of the largest and oldest annual performances of Handel's Messiah as a tenor. Um, and went on to do other things as well, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. So in the mid-90s, we bought our first Windows-based computer, um, and I was transfixed by that. The, the idea of the, te the technology and all the p p possible things you could do with it 
was fascinating to me. So I learned everything I could about it. Um, I spent my, my money upgrading it, rebuilding it, and eventually built my own computer from parts that I ordered. Um, and we soon had an internet connection, and I took up online multiplayer gaming. Uh, I organized teams, I recruited, I evaluated players, and I formed competitive units. Uh, it was, in my book, the ultimate application of competitive intellectualism and a applied knowledge. So I had a blast with that, and that, that was something that I've continued to this day. I still play games, believe it or not. So living the paper route, bike ride to the convenience store life was very different when we moved out to cow country. Uh, the home we were moving to out in the farmland was a dilapidated 100-year-old um, farmhouse with a thousand bale barn. It was five miles from the nearest store or freeway, which was a mile further than any pizza place would deliver. So yeah, you have to meet them halfway if you want to get pizza. Uh, the neighbors across the street had horses. The next door neighbor was a 200-acre farm. Across the street behind the horses was a 100-acre swamp, and the other direction was a sheep farm. Um, two doors down was the fire department, was volunteer fire department. Um, so that first summer was a, a, just a blur of out-and-out out insanity. I was 15, and it was the best summer of my life. Uh, the house didn't have working plumbing. We tore the back half off. We dug footers and poured a corner that didn't exist previously. Uh, worked with the tradespeople that my dad knew to lay cinder block, build the basement walls. I floated a basement floor um, with homemade tools. Uh, we framed it in and built that new back of the house, and um, I studied to take the contractor's exam so I would know how to competently do our electric work. Um, I'll never forget sleeping in the, on the plywood floor of the back room of the house with the tarps billowing out because we hadn't built the walls yet, uh, with the dog sleeping next to me and the firearm on the other side, and I remember surviving on sun chips and uh, orange soda and whatever else I asked for because I was the person responsible for managing the place while my dad was at work during the day, and my mom was home with the kids packing and getting ready to move. So dad would come out in the evenings, and we'd work until 2 or 3 in the morning and get the, get the next stage of things done, and he'd drive to work, and we'd just do that over and over again for a couple months. So once the house had walls and a toilet that would flush, um, my 16-year-old friend and I, he had a driver's license, uh, we made a bunch of trips with the biggest U-Haul we could rent, and we pretty much moved the family between the two of us. Um, and then the movers came for the really heavy uh, welding stuff and all the uh, equipment that my dad had. So life in the country was incredible. Uh, there was no more paper route money, so I was living off of savings, so to speak. I was a teenager there. And my fallback plan was to do odd jobs for farmers, thinking I could you know, make a living, so to speak, support my hobbies that way. Um, and there was a lot of that work out there, but it didn't pay very well or as consistently. Um, so I had to go from really menial work to more skilled stuff to make a dollar. Uh, we also had fun. We played paintball, raced around on all sorts of things, and crashed them all a lot. Uh, my brothers and I got to experience the hardworking life, the, the rewarding life of raising animals and maintaining land. Um, I eventually became adept at fixing up and repairing um, barn doors and barns and uh, building corrals and fences and pens and coops and uh, also ended up building bridges for farmers to be able to drive their tractors over. Um, so that was interesting. And then during our time living out there in the country, we started attending a different church, a Grace Brethren Church. Uh, and if you know anything about it, it's a very different style of worship than even this or um, a traditional church. 
Um, we enjoyed that, but it was, it was an experience that I won't forget. And after a few years, I was attending local community college during my senior year of high school and then accepted an offer to work for a little software startup around the corner from college. So I took on the job of implementing new customers, so creating training material and conducting on-site and phone-based training. Um, and then I was charged with interviewing and hiring my first employee, which is an interesting thing to trust an 18-year-old with. Uh, and it was, a, it was a blast as well, experiencing a lot of new things. And um, college went by in a blur. So I, I dated a bit. I played a lot of video games. Uh, I climbed mountains in upstate New York and fell off of one. Uh, I crashed a lot of things. Uh, I, I made a lot of friends all around the country and around the world thanks to technology opportunities. Um, I got to try my hand as a software developer for Rockwell Allen Bradley for about two years. I started a band with a few friends, a rock band, uh, and sang and played the bass guitar. Um, and I ran a multi-thousand person video game group and alliance, um, organized events that ran night and day for years and years. I played competitively as well in a number of games as a participant, a leader, a recruiter, a strategist, and kind of observed the birth of something called eSports. Uh, which is huge now, but not as huge around 2000 to 2005, but got to meet the champions, the winners of groups that played at the highest level of those things at the time. It was a really interesting thing and something I still love to watch and um, keep up with some of. So I built and tinkered with computers, um, continued to develop my passion for technology. I graduated from my community college with an associate's degree, but I didn't transfer to a four-year school as I'd planned. Um, after a failed relationship that hurt a lot, um, I just lost momentum, so I didn't do it. Um, I decided that after a short relationship with a good friend's sister that I was ready to throw in the towel on relationships um, and focus on other parts of life. So an elder who was mentoring me counseled me to stop looking for a wife and wait on the Lord to show me the right person. Um, a few of the verses I leaned on were Proverbs 18.22, um, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, granted, that was the verse I was running with for quite a while leading up to that moment. But um, Psalm 143, was, verse 8, was uh, one that sort of slowed my roll. It said that, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Um, so that elder and I, who met pretty regularly, he said, You know, if, if you just stop looking and wait, the Lord will show you the right person to marry. Um, I said, that sounds good. So I took a five-year contract to work full-time on the road and travel. <laughs> um, so I was traveling up and down the East Coast, uh, working for a CNC company out of Italy. Uh, about a month into that job, I found out another good friend's sister was uh, single and met her at a music festival and asked her out. Uh, so Sarah was and still is a little bit older than I am and a lot smarter. Uh, and we hit it off like a house on fire. So I knew two dates in I was going to marry her and told her three weeks after our first date, oh, by the way, I'm going to marry you. And <laughs> so she, she gave me a grin back, and that was that. Uh, we were engaged three months after our first date, and we were married seven months after that. Um, we left town to live in North Carolina. Um, the company that I was working for didn't force me to just continuously travel. I could settle down in an area at a time. Um, we lived there for a little bit more than a year, came back to Cleveland, and then went to Detroit for half a year after that, um, and then settled down in Cleveland for 10 years as homeowners and starting our family. 
So I've done technology work in manufacturing, legal, uh, a SaaS product company, a SaaS reseller and services shop, and now for an insurance company. Uh, we relo relocated here to Indianapolis in 2017 for the job that I have in Carmel uh, and bought a home in Fishers in 2018. So I've been there a little over a year. And we've been attending Faith for about two years now. So we're going on 15 years of marriage, um, and we have four kids. Um, so I, I should pause and explain why we have a 10-year-old, but we've been married over 14 years. Um, we, we'd hoped to start a family right away, um, and it didn't happen. And we didn't know why that was, um, but we struggled with it a lot. We eventually saw doctors and spent a lot of money and got nowhere. Uh, nobody could tell us any reason why that wasn't happening. And then it did. Um, and so we had Callie. She's, she's 10 years old now. We never really knew why that happened or um, what caused it or why God sort of put us through that. We, we didn't have a good time there. It was, a, it was a tough three years of wondering what's wrong, what's going on, why is our plan not happening. Um, but part of what we took away from it was if, if we don't share that that happened, then somebody else who's going through it right now won't know anybody to talk to about it. So that's something that I think is worth mentioning. So our kids. So Maggie is three, um, and she's the best version of a fourth child anyone ever had. Uh, she can do witty banner. Uh, she can be the baby of the family, or she can be the strong, independent woman that we all know she is. Uh, Victor is six, and he's only ever about 10 minutes from asking you an existential grade crisis question of, of what's, what does this mean, or how did that happen? And you won't have an answer for him. Nobody ever does. And you'll, you can get back to him on that, and that's okay. Uh, Tommy is eight. He has a heart of gold. Um, he'll love you, and he'll be beside himself to know that you love him too. So if you meet Tommy, you can know that about him. Um, Callie is 10, uh, and she knows she should be a jaded old soul by now, but she hasn't gotten around to taking it that seriously. So she's still my little girl, and she's fantastic. Um, so today I'm, I'm 38 years old. Um, I have a gray beard when I grow it out, and um, I love my family, my church, my job, my community, um, and I do woodworking as a hobby. So I, build, I design and build furniture for fun when I'm able and have time. Uh, a few months ago, I had something called ACDF surgery, so it's a neck surgery, and uh, I've got a scar, good scar. It's a very good scar. Um, and now I can sleep more than two hours at a time, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm about as blessed as I can imagine being, um, and I've been spending a bit of time being the director of the men's ministry here at Faith um, while trying to keep up with the rest of life. Uh, my heart is to see the men in our church grow into the well-equipped, um, capable, able leaders that God calls them to be in their families, neighborhoods, workplaces, and church. So that's me. We do questions, huh? Yeah. So. Is there something that we've all seen that you made in the church here? Yeah, the pulpit. Yeah, the or the round table up there. I, I did the top of it, and some some other people worked on the metal base for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I this is open mic time, so you can. You, I'm sorry. Yeah. So this is my wife Sarah over here. And she does not want us to look at her. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Randy wonders how I found Faith Church or how we did. Uh, so when we first moved here, uh, our church in Cleveland, our pastors there um, knew of a church here that they recommended. Um, and we went to uh, one of their plant, planted churches, uh, sat, attended for about a month, and I heard some things from the pulpit that I'd never heard before, um, which was a surprise at my age. And I thought, I should read up on that. And it, I don't believe the same things that they were preaching. So I said, rather than trying to retrain our children week by week for the next few years, let's find a church that's preaching the things that we believe across the board. Um, so we stopped going there and started hunting. Um, I went to one other church once, and then we found Faith Online. Our church in Cleveland was an EFCA church. Um, so looked up what, what was around Indianapolis, and this is one of the only two, I think. Um, so I called Pastor Jeff and grilled him for like an hour, or an hour and a half, relentlessly. Poor guy. And uh, got to the bottom of what I needed to know about um, how people at Faith live out their, their beliefs and their faith, um, and doctrinally where this church is at. So content with that, we showed up and we powered through the, audit the gymnasium down there back when it was more of a gymnasium, and we figured out what to do, and after a couple of weeks, it felt like home. So... We've been here about two years now. Oh, Mar Margie asked if we homeschool. Yes, we do. So I think that I had it in there somewhere, and I didn't actually re say everything I meant to say. But yes, we homeschool um, as, we, as we were both homeschooled as well. <laughs> well, to hear her tell it, she saw me when I was in, a in the band, and she saw me on stage and said, well, there, there, that's, that's that guy. Uh, but I think um, realistically, our families met when we, when we were newborns, and then we didn't see each other for uh, 20 years or thereabouts. And I was good friends with a friend of her brother's and became a good friend of his, um, the confusing thing was I thought she was my friend's little sister. And when I found out she wasn't his, the little sister, I felt like all bets were off. So I immediately asked her out. <laughs> I don't know why that made sense in my head at the time, but it did. I never broke anything, uh, but I probably did the dam some of the damage to my neck uh, over time with some of that. Uh, my two brothers and I are still close. Um, they have families in Cleveland. They're believers, and uh, my parents still live in Cleveland as well there. Uh, we had one more back there. Sorry. Jim? John. John. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't been to Gen Con. I've had conflicts both years, but I've been to IndyCon and I've been to um, Origins twice, board game conventions. Yeah. yeah. Right, so do you guys live pretty, pretty suburbia or out on the fringes of Fishers? Oh, we're very much in suburbia. No, no, no cows, no chickens for us now. Uh, well, so I really love the experience of being in the country when I was a teenager, but I don't want to live there right now. And it's not in the, it's not really in the vision for what Sarah and I are really hoping to get out of life, to go raise animals. We really like the city life, 
but I like the I like the the tool set that living in the country gives you. So, I, I Nick Carter asked what a redneck meant to me last last hour, and I said, well, it's somebody who can fix things the wrong way and with violence, <laughs> but but fix them. And so it's about challenges and troubleshooting and problem solving in my book. It's not about being uneducated or a hillbilly. A redneck is somebody who can see a problem and dive into it and is unwilling to hire anybody else to do it, whether it's the right way or the wrong way. <laughs> so, percussive maintenance. I've crashed everything except for a helicopter <laughs> I, that I can think of. Uh, so dirt bikes and ATVs and snowmobiles and um, let's see. I was co-pilot of an airplane when the wheel kind of came off when we were landing it. So that counted as a crash in my book. Um, a sailboat, uh, we were T-boned on a 30-foot sailboat when I was a teenager in a race. Um, I've crashed cars, cars sideways, frontways, and backways. Um, yeah, a lot of things. No, well, I mean, I've crashed, I've been in accidents uh, in my adult life in cars, but um, I haven't done a whole bunch of exciting racing things and uh, been doing any excessive speeds, uh, unlawful speeds for the most part, or not things I do. Yeah. I don't have a dog today. We're allergic and uh, four kids as it turns out are are a lot a lot to keep up with and feed. So, uh I want a dog, but I don't know that the rest of the family is ever going to have a dog. So, that may be something I just always want. <laughs> yeah. I don't sing with a group anymore. Um the band that I was a part of, I had to leave when I took that traveling job and they went on and found a new frontman that was a lot better. And then they won a bunch of state uh, competitions, and they they had big band appearances. They played at the Rock Hall. They've been all over the place. So they they were very successful without me, which is good for them. Have you talked to Julie about singing in the choir? I have not. Oh, I mean, I have, but I haven't talked to her seriously about it. So. I turned down a job once. Um, it was the wrong season of life to be tackling it. So we had one small, well, we had, we had a few small kids and one on the way. And a good friend who owned a media company in Cleveland um, wanted me to be the CEO of it when he left the business and retired. And I didn't want to do it because it would have been an uh, all-consuming thing in my mind. I, I felt like it would have been too... Uh, too tempting to throw everything I had into it and ignore other parts of my life. So I prioritize family over job. Job is a way to to be fulfilled and have meaning there, but not find all of it. So. And you, you mentioned the sort of formative experience you had with your parents about legalism in the mm -hmm. church. Uh, well, we weren't specific about it, but have, do you have any 
increases in how you'll deal with that with your children now if they come to you with something mm. that you disagree about how do we as parents or grandparents uh, Yeah, so par parenting and finding the balance between, uh, I would say, grace and truth. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll f I'm, I'm going to try to figure that out. But I think I'll probably be more like my parents than I give, give them credit for. I'll probably be more, here's the rule, live the rule. That's, that's your life. Um, and then figure out how to parent more than that as I grow into it. I kind of saw that happen with them as they uh, raised me and I pushed the boundaries of life for them and then my brothers had a very different experience. So um, hopefully I learned something from that, but uh, without, yeah, without spending a lot of time thinking that all the way through, I, I don't know how I'd answer that. Some of the time, yes. They're not raising any animals, but they still own the, the farm. They live in an apartment closer to town, taking care of my great-grandmother at the moment. Uh, but they're up in Cleveland. So I could still go to the family farm if I, if I wanted to. Yes, but not that often and, and not that recently. Um, it, for quite some time there, it wasn't a very kid-friendly environment. There's a lot of rusty, sharp things around, so it's, it's not, not the same as going to like a Fisher's Park, you know? <laughs> so how did, you come, how did you come to be the director of men's I don't know entirely, but the parts of it that I do know about, uh, how did I become uh, director of men, men of faith, uh, so I was involved in men's ministry at the churches uh, that we've attended over the years. And in, in Cleveland, um, for the last 10, 10 years leading up to this, was on their men's ministry. It's where my heart is. I, I love to spend time focused on building up, equipping, and developing men um, so that they can be the most effective person they can be in, in their different roles. Um, I've seen churches where men are not leading. They're not intentionally going out and making the right decisions and acting on them. Uh, and those churches don't thrive. Those families, those communities don't do well. And it can be because we're being lazy, can be because no one is showing us the way in that. Um, so when I came here and met with Joe and met with Jeff and talked about what my heart for ministry was, and I said, well, want to want to put you into something that you can do to be engaged here. Um, and Scott Freeman was talking about stepping down from Men of Faith, um, and the other guys on the committee at the time didn't have an interest in being the leader of it. So they, we sat down and talked about it, and I said I'd do it for a little while and see how that goes. So it's been about a, what has it been a year, thereabouts, maybe a little more. So both of my parents came to Christ while they were attending college. Um, I think if I were to summarize it, my, my, my mom grew up Catholic um, and didn't see faith lived out in her family, really, and her community wasn't, wasn't strong in, in, a, in a faith 
centric way. So when she went to college, she was looking for answers. Um, and I think it was Campus Crusade at the time, um, with the same organization that my dad um, was saved through. My dad was going to Ohio State, she was going to Case Western, uh, and both came to Christ, pretty similar timing. Uh, but their, what, what, what their ch childhoods looked like and coming up to that point, um, I know little bits about it. I don't know, I don't know a lot of the, the li life that they had to lead before they got to there. Um, but I could tell, still can tell, that they're really glad that they were saved before they got married, um, before they had kids, before they finished their educational decision-making. But I guess my mom was pretty well out of that by the time that she, that had been thrown over the fence going to law school. But yeah. She managed a bank for a little while before they got married, um, a bank branch. Uh, she didn't go back to professional life after we moved out, um, other than helping different organizations or help uh, doing smaller work. Um, so she didn't pursue a career after us kids grew up. Yeah. But I can say she applied her degrees to us boys. It's quite a bit. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of the law degree versus the psychology degree got used up on us boys, but there was an even mix. A CNC company, uh, so uh, manufacturing machinery and equipment uh, that's computer run and operated. So I did software development for them on their automated parts handlers and robotics and machinery, uh, a lot of logic development for parts inventory management and tooling systems and controls. So a lot of machine logic and C and um, Siemens logic. I took I took a couple years of programming in, in my community college before I graduated. That was what I was really interested in going there for. Um, so I, I'm a software developer that doesn't do a lot of it anymore. Um, I more manage people and have to get into technology when it's not going well. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I love to read. I don't have as much time to read as I would like. Um, and it, it, it competes in priority with a lot of other things, right? But when I can, I'm, I listen to audiobooks when I'm driving, um, and I try to keep a rotation going of different types of books. So I like to rotate between um, science fiction, fantasy stuff, um, historical books, um, and then something that's going to advance me professionally. Um, whether that's information about a technology or an approach to business or an approach to life thing um, or a thought process development book. I find I get, if I get into just one of those tracks, two or three or four books in, I get bored of it and then I don't want to go back to it for too long. So just keep them in a three book rotation. All right, well, going once, going twice. Well, thanks, everybody. <laughs>